Aren't you glad you didn't have an angel pop up next to you just a few seconds ago? All right, it's one of the most awkward ones we've ever done. It's like, yeah, well, we're giving angels, forcing you to give more. No, um, we're in this final, final week of our series, Making Spirits Bright. We've been talking about those things in the Christmas season and basically in life that can be quite honestly able to steal and kill your joy that's in your life. We talked about stress in our first week and looked at how to manage stress better and pray through that and engage it. We talked about unforgiveness and bitterness. I've heard a lot from you guys who've had to work through some of those pieces and what God's been doing. I'm praising God for that. Last week, we looked at discontent. We talked about the fact that we should be content with what God has given us and praising him for that, but being discontent in, what he, in, in our relationship with him. And man, I was encouraged. It was an exciting a week last week, and yet there's a danger in our contentment that I want to address as well, and that is this idea of greed. We're talking about the spirit of greed today, and in order to just kind of kick it off, it's Christmas time. By the way, Merry Christmas. Merry Excited about uh, Christmas Eve coming up, and uh, for all those at home, Merry Christmas as well, and we are going to be looking today at a, a Christmas story, and I want you to imagine with me in this particular Christmas story that you have found yourself in England. You got the snow-covered streets, and there's this old cobblestone lane that you've walked down into a home, open the doors, and there's one of those old libraries, a home library, you know, where from the bottom to the top, with one of those little ladders are just, there's books everywhere. And as you walk into this, this little home that you knew was once owned by Charles Dickens himself, you find the Christmas Carol, and you pull it out. It's an original copy. It was one of his personal copies, and, and you're opening it, being so careful with the pages, and suddenly a piece of paper falls out and lands on the floor, and you're like, what is this? As you pick it up, you open it up, and you read it, the title. It's a set of notes, and it says, the prequel to A Christmas Carol. Um, and, and so as you start to look at this prequel, you start going, oh, this is super interesting. It's about Jacob Marley, and it reads in this way. The bank of Jacob Marley had pulled in much money that year, at Christmas time, he had sat, down, sat in his counting house and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have no new places to invest all my excess money. And he counted and thought, and for a while ignored Scrooge's insistence that he was wasting the day. When he finally realized what he could do, he said to himself, I will do this. I will tear down my counting house and I'll build a larger one with larger vaults. And there, I will store all my excess finances and investments. Then, yes, then I will say to my soul, Soul, you have a vast wealth that will last for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But that night, a spirit came to him. He spooked him so badly, he ran into his room, pulled his curtains together on his bed. Where he thought he was safe, that spirit floated through those very curtains. And in horror, as he looked at it, it said to him, You, Jacob, are a fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the riches that you've prepared, whose will they be? And indeed, that night he died. And so sets up the Christmas carol, right? Well, actually, this is just a Christmas story for you. It wasn't originally a Christmas story. It was actually a story, a parable told by Jesus many, many centuries earlier. A parable in which Jesus was giving a warning to a man about being greedy and the dangers of greed. In fact, if you want to take a look at this parable with me and we want to engage Jesus' words, open up to Luke chapter 12. And I guarantee this was a faithful rendition, as we're looking at Jacob Marley, of this passage in Luke 12. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. You can open to page 871 in the Bibles under the seats if you want to join us. But he starts off beginning there in verse 13 and says that someone in the, it says that someone in the crowd said to Jesus, 
teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Apparently his father had died. There was now a need to divide up the will and he hadn't gotten as much as he wanted. So he goes to Jesus to get what he wants. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he turned to the crowd and said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told the story that I told. And at the end, God turns to that rich man who is storing up all of his goods and says, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus ends with these final words. He says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And in this, Jesus suddenly gives us a very dire warning about what can happen with a sense of contentment. Now, I think we should be content, as I said. Content in what God has given us and the blessings, we should celebrate that. But the danger is that suddenly you can become possessive of those possessions in a greedy manner in which you're clinging to them. You're holding tight. And Jesus is warning us, saying, hey, listen, we need to be careful about greed. Because it will. It can kill so much more than just the joy of Christmas. It will kill the relationships and so many other pieces that you and I are engaged with. And so what I want you to do is I want to give you a definition of greed today. And here's your definition of greed. Take, lift up your non-dominant hand for me. If you've got your non-dominant hand, just lift it up. What I want you to do now is take it and take a nice tight grip. Grip it as tight as you can and pull it close to your chest. Now you have a definition of greed. This is what greed looks like. It's tight-fisted. It's about me. In other words, when I want more for me, when I want for me and hold on tight, greed is gripping my soul. And the danger of greed is this idea that you are holding tight to what you have. You want more. It's right here. It's yours. And you're not going to let go. This is the picture of what happens every Black Friday when the stores open, right? Everybody's rushing in, grabbing, gripping hard, not letting go. But here's the thing. Many of us don't think that this picture of greed represents you. Maybe you don't feel like you're greedy at all. You're like, I'm not a greedy person. I'm pretty generous. I'm I'm not held back by greed. And that's awesome. Many of us aren't. But we need to be careful because greed is something that can show up in in far more than just being in, in money. In fact, many people think they're not greedy because you're not rich. I mean, rich people, it's the millionaires, it's the billionaires. Those are the greedy people of the world. Maybe you've been told that. Maybe you've thought that. But here's the thing. I have known millionaires who are the most generous people I've ever met, ready and willing to give out of their millions for anybody who's in need, ready to care about the church, ready to care about causes. And, and it's not just because they have the money. They want to help. In fact, they, they believe they have the money to help people. And at the same time, I have met some of the greediest poor and middle-class people you'll ever meet. And they, they want their stuff. They hold on to their stuff. They're not going to give to anybody because, man, it's about me and mine and my family. In fact, what's fascinating is our culture, it's not struggling necessarily with monetary greed in the church anymore, but some other kind of greed because greed goes beyond the money. In fact, in the Ten Commandments, as we'll see here, this is the Tenth Commandment. God addresses this concept of greed, but he uses the word covetousness. And he says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And see here, God expands this. He says, look, you can covet your neighbor's house. 
That's, that's a possession. You can covet your neighbor's wife. That's a relationship. You can, cover your, you can covet his male servant, his female servant, or his ox. That's a lifestyle. And in a world filled with Instagram and Facebook and seeing other people's lives, we can covet these things. We can long to have them and pull them to ourselves. And we've kind of dealt with that last week, that discontented attitude that longs to pull in and hold on. And so this week, when we talk about greed, we're going to focus in not on just the outward desire to pull in, but this piece of gripping tight to whatever you do have. Now, it's interesting because in this text, this is the one of the Ten Commandments, the only one that you don't do anything with. You ever notice this? All the other commandments got to do something to break. And if I'm going to worship another God, I got to kneel down before that God. If I'm going to make an idol, I got to literally fashion an idol. If I'm going to break the Sabbath, I'm going to go to work. If I'm going to kill somebody, well, I got to kill them. If I'm going to steal, I got to steal some. Every other commandment in the Ten Commandments requires an action except this one. This is a heart condition. This is the only one that says if your heart is longing for what somebody else has, if your heart is longing in greed to grip and hold on to, longing and coveting, then these other things come out. It's the actual initial heart condition if you're not careful. You see, it's when you look at that neighbor's wife, that's when that adultery comes out. It's when you want that neighbor's donkey. That's just another excuse. That's a car in our world, right? So when you want that and you're going to steal it, that's the action that comes out of the coveting. It comes out of the greed. And so in the Bible, it talks about these two forms of greed, of desiring to grab and hold to yourself, and the other one of gripping on and not letting go. In the United States church today, it is not an issue too much for Christians to be greedy with their dollars. Guaranteed. Most Christians are ready to give and help out. What we are finding today that Christians are not about greed with the dollars, it's about greed with their time. In fact, the average Christian will only give two slots of time, each only about an hour to an hour and a half to a church, to their church they call their home church, the one they're invested in. They'll give a Sunday morning slot, and possibly they'll give a second slot about an hour and a half of service, or they'll give a week, midweek slot of like a small group. And so suddenly when churches start going, hey, we'd love for, volu- we'd love for you guys to volunteer or connect with something in the ministry, the, the resistance is, you don't understand, I'm busy. And I get it, man. If you've got kids, you're on a field quite often. Isn't that true? You're, if you've got a job, you're on a freeway quite often, and you're not getting away from that freeway. And so when you've been at work for eight hours a day, you're at a field watching your kid either coaching or refing. You don't want me coaching, and you don't want me refing, and so I don't do that. But the, uh, you know, and maybe that's true for you too, but you're sitting there going, I got to sit and watch my kids practice. I got to sit and watch my kids play that piano. I got to sit and watch my kids deal with this thing. Then suddenly time is precious. And we start to go, you know, I got some time here and I need to hold on to the time. And we can be greedy with time. I've talked to people who have have expressed a sense of greed with their talents. Um, People who have literally used their talents strictly for their work. They're amazing artists or maybe they're amazing computer programmers or maybe they were amazing leaders of some kind. We go, hey, we would love for you to serve care and help out the church with your gifts. And they go like, you know what? I get paid for that at work. I don't want to do that also at church. And you want to know why the, the, the corporate world is kicking the church's tail and marketing and all kinds of stuff over the world. It's because all this wonderful giftedness that God has poured into the church is being used to support all these other things because we get paid for it. And I get that. But we need to be careful. Is it because, hey, I, you know, I don't have the time really? Or is it, are we being greedy? 
And that's the danger point. Is the orientation of what you have aimed at you? Is it selfish? When you ask the question of why you have a wealth in this area, maybe it's a wealth of finances. And you're saying, well, it's for me. It's so I can enjoy my life. I can enjoy the things that I've got. I've worked hard for this money. Maybe it's you're hitting retirement age and you've got a wealth of time on your hands. And you're going, well, you know, actually what we're going to do is we're going to buy an RV and tour the world and just say goodbye to everybody. And, and maybe that's the orientation you have, that it's my time. This is me time. These are my talents. I'm going to get paid for this talent. This is about me. That's the danger of the orientation to greed. And what that does is it dissolves community. It kills the opportunity for us to care for one another, for us to jump into each other's life, to promote the, the things that we believe are, should be pushed forward. All this dissolves and it wastes that wealth. It wastes those opportunities. It wastes that talent. It wastes those relationships because it, we want to fixate it on ourselves and it'll dissolve all kinds of things. It'll destroy all sorts of problems, especially churches. Man, when pastors get greedy, it gets dangerous. If you've ever met a greedy pastor, you know, because they'll say weird things. And I had to wrestle through this early on. When I was in youth ministry, we had a great youth ministry. It was growing. Kids were coming. And then they opened up, um, Crossroads opened up their big, giant midweek youth service. Like 3,000 kids came rushing in there. A whole bunch of our kids were leaving uh, to, to go check out this awesome thing that was happening over there. And man, inside, my greed started grabbing me because those were my kids, Right? This is my ministry. Those are my kids. That's my worship leader. You can't have my, you can't have my band. You can't have my mine, 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 my whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. What direction am I thinking? That sounds a lot like the the, the parable there. Remember what he said in the parable? Take a look at this. Look at verse 17. He said, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. I will store up my grain and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, soul. Now you're in trouble when you're talking to yourself, okay? <laughs> when a pastor's in there going, you're not going to take my kids. He's talking to himself. We can reorient this. This is supposed to be a prayer. He's supposed to say, God, this is your stuff. God, what should I do with these things? Now he says, you know what, soul, when he's put yourself in the place of God, you got a problem. Greed has likely clutched your soul. When a pastor is saying there that God's church is his church, my church, my authority, my people, that's a greedy pastor. And there's a dangerous problem there. We need to be careful when we see that because it can also infect a church. Greed in a church often looks like that's my church. What we mean by that is, that's the way I like worship to go. That's the way I like the message to be preached. That's the way I think the money should be spent. That's the way I, and when it's about I and me and my traditions and my ways, what will die in a church is often evangelism. What will die in the church is the willingness to step out of our comfort zones to reach out to people who otherwise wouldn't necessarily be the kind of people we'd want to have at my church. And we need to be careful because greed can corrupt even the soul of a church and kill the church because it's all about us and me and my and my influence and my paycheck or my people and my worship and my time. And that's the danger that Jesus is saying, hold on. Greed can corrupt. Greed can destroy. Greed destroys the church. It destroys community. It destroys so many pieces. And ultimately, that's because greed is sin. It's a major sin. 
We would call it one of the seven deadly sins. And we're like, but you think about it, like, why is greed dangerous? Our culture even wants to say, in some cases, that greed is good. There's a whole economic system out there calling greed as good. And we need to be careful because greed is not about making sure that you're, you're in a righteous self-interest. That, that's found in Scripture. Greed, again, is taking on, gripping and holding tight and not letting go. It's about me. It's my interest and only my interest, my family, my time, my way. And this is the opposite of the very thing that God is, which is love. You see, love, as we've defined it over the last few months and clearly, is the desire for someone to be better by being unfair to myself. Greed is never unfair to yourself. Greed is always about you. Greed is always going to be aimed at you. It's not going to be a sacrifice at all. In fact, sacrifice is the opposite of greed. And therefore, what we find is that greed is so dastardly and so sinful, it will destroy the church. It will destroy a family. It will destroy our joy and our life. And so we need a solution to greed so we understand what we're looking at. And so my solution promoted to you guys comes from Jesus, and that is generosity. We need to be generous. We need to be a greatly generous people. I don't think this is rocket science. Personally, I think this is preschool level stuff, right? I I think you guys will agree it's preschool level. When you stop for one minute and remember what happens at Christmas morning every year. You'll have a bunch of, if you have little kids, your kids will get together. They're going to open up their presents. They're all going to be super excited. They're going to tear them open. And it may be like a board game, right? You ever had this one happen? They open up a board game. They're all excited about their board game. And board games are not made for individuals, right? They're made for each other. And yet when the weather kid comes over to say, oh, that's cool. Let's play. They say, no, it's mine. And they hold it close. I'm not sharing with you, mine. And that, you know, that happens when we're little kids. And what do we tell to our kids? We walk over and they no, 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 that's not just yours. You need to share. That's right. And we teach all our little preschoolers and all our kiddos, you need to share. But that ends when we're 18, because then we can be selfish and greedy, right? No. The same message comes to us as adults. We're supposed to share. We're supposed to have generosity. This is what Jesus is teaching us. He actually says to us, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so Jesus concludes the section. He's saying, guys, do not be so connected to your possessions that you cannot wind up living with the open hand. If you have to, sell it all and give it to the poor. Release this thing that you're just gripped onto. He's using extreme language in order to wake us up. If you can't let go, then sell it all. Let it go. Get it out of your life. It's destroying you. Give. Now, we know that Jesus did not mean for you to sell everything that you possibly own. Give it to everybody so that you become in need of everybody giving back to you. No, very clearly in the scriptures, it's always about the excess. It's always about more than you need. Once you have your needs met, now you can begin to give above and beyond your needs. You have an excess. And so Jesus is saying, hey, sell this stuff and get your mind off the now. Greed is here, now, selfish, me, here. Because I only got this life. I've only got the next 40 years. Then I die and I go into wherever. And this is where it's important for me to note something. Because if you're not a Christian, the rest of this message does not apply to you. 
You can go ahead and just tune out. That's okay. I'm not here to tell you you need to give to a church or you need to give of your money. It is your money. You've worked for it. It's up to you what you do with it. And that's, that's between, and it's okay. If you need to fight for it, you've earned it. It's yours. Let you, you don't need to hear. I'm not here to tell you give me your money. That's not what this is about. And if you wound, if you're like one of those guests who are here and you're like, I always seem to go to church when the pastor talks about money. You're just unlucky. That's all there is to it. We talk a lot about a ton of other things. We don't talk about money much. And so again, I'm going to let you off the hook. You don't need to listen, but I want you to tune back in at the end. Generosity is an important thing. I think you get that. I think we all understand that we should be generous. We teach our kids to share, that we should share. From that point on, I'll leave you to how you are generous in your own way. But in this case, we know that Jesus challenged us to think about generosity because we don't want to think about this life right now only. That guys, you are going to only live another maybe 50, maybe 40, maybe 30, depending on your age, a little bit longer on this earth, but you are guaranteed in Christ to have eternity. Which one do you want to invest in? You are taught all your life, invest for your retirement, invest for your future, invest for your future. We're going to live a lot longer on that side than this one. And Jesus says, stop thinking so fixated on the now. And remember, there's an eternity ahead. Maybe what you need to do is see that God's provided this for you to use for the blessing of others so that you're storing up treasure in eternity. And so he gives you the focus beyond the now into the eternal. And so the very clear orientation of the Christian church and the Christian is not to be greedy and possess our time, possess our talents, possess our relationships for ourselves and our money, but to pour out that stuff so it's a blessing to those in our world around us for the sake of the future. Now, how do you do that is a different question. And this is where Paul has been extremely helpful. He's speaking to the Corinthian church, a church that he planted, that, he was, that he's told them, hey, we've got these starving people in Jerusalem. I want to challenge you guys to give to them to help them out. And in his letter, he's reminding them that they've committed to help out the starving Jerusalem church in this famine. And so he lays then out how he wants them to give and the way that he wants them to give. And we find that here in 2 Corinthians. I would love for you guys to join me as we turn over to that passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verse six through eight. If you have a Bible, that same Bible in the seats, go ahead and follow us forward. You can go to page 968. And how it begins is that he gives us some tips on our giving then. He gives us some tips on generosity, on heart conditions and ways that we should approach this. Especially as Christians, we engage in this. He says, first of all, you need to give greatly and it will grow. His whole point is, don't be afraid to give greatly thinking you're not going to get a return. He says, no, it's going to multiply. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So I'm here to tell you, my friends, that you need to give $50 to church. It'll multiply to you by 100 times. No, that's not it. (laughs) This is not a health, wealth, gospel thing. There's no guarantee if you give to the church, you're going to get any kind of monetary help back unless you need it and you ask for it. And yes, we have funds to help you out. The point is not about giving to get. That's called greed. I give in hopes to get more. That's a greedy spirit, even in our generosity. No, the goal in giving, and what Paul is getting at here, is that it's going to come back to you in, in, in an intangible way, in a way. Now, sometimes it comes back. I'm not going to lie to you. I have met and I've had this experience where literally you will give, and you know, we give a, out of our sacrifice, almost giving to God, like going, I trust you, God, with this. Some people, you started your tithing this way, and God showed up and gave it right back to you in like less than a week. And you're like, oh my gosh, God just met our needs. 
That happens so many times, it's ridiculous. Probably should be a, a giant book filled with all the testimonies of how often that has happened. It is, but that's not what I want to aim at. I want to let you know that when you sow a little bit, yeah, you'll get a little bit back. When you sow a lot, there'll be a lot back. You see, that comes in all kinds of different ways that maybe you never expected. See, it comes in every sermon that's ever delivered. The only reason I can do what I do is because you guys give in your time, you give in your talents, you give in your treasures. The, the only reason we have students who are able to go down the street and get in connection with a, with a youth pastor, bring their friends to, and have an opportunity with a building over our heads and lights in a room and children having places to go is because you give generously of your time, you give generously of your talents, and you give of your finances. I mean, don't forget that what you have is a room to invite people to because of your generosity. Nothing in the church works off of greed. Everything in the church works off of generosity. Everything works off the gifting and the giving of other people, and therefore it comes back to you in a blessing, in your small group, in the opportunity. I mean, it takes a staff member that's been given to to set up the small group so you have the opportunity to find the curriculums in order to pull people together and have that time. It's all us being generous together. That's the beauty of generosity is it builds the church. And so when you reap sparingly, it disables the ability to reach, to do great things. When you give greatly, man, then you end up with James Projects where people who are being cited for code enforcement can suddenly have an army of people giving of their time, giving of their efforts, having given of their finances, some corporations around us giving so that we can go to their home, fix their land, and they don't get cited, and they don't have to pay money out of their pocket because we gave. It changes lives. Every baptism is from the very fact that you were willing to generously give and share the gospel and give your time. It's all generosity. Everything that we will do and see over the next years is something that comes from generosity. Now, what's interesting is that this is an agrarian illustration. Notice he says, sowing and reaping. We don't live in a farmland. Some of you guys are trying to do that in your backyard. I get that. But most of us don't, don't actually live in a farm. And so when we throw seed out, we think, oh, we live in microwave land, right? I should be able to sit down immediately and do something. My kids have this tendency to want to try something new. Like, I'm going to be amazing at soccer. And so they go play in the rain because they think all you got to do is add water and they'll be awesome. But really, it's frustrating when you sit down for the first time to play a piano and you don't know how and you stink, and you want to quit because you should have, be like amazing. No, no, no. Same thing as with giving. It takes time. It takes development. When you pour in your talent for that first time, sure, it may not be at a certain level, but guess what? You're going to grow as you develop that talent. And sure, maybe when you pour in that finance at first, it's not going to come back in a way that you think is great, but there is a case of eternity coming in which you may discover that the fields of your eternal farm are covered with a great harvest. It may be from people just walking up to you from other nations saying, if you hadn't given, I wouldn't be here. Had you not touched my, had you not served, I wouldn't have been transformed. In youth ministry, you learn that. For years, you slave away over teenagers who couldn't give a care what happened to you after they left into college and beyond. And then one day they wake up and they go, you know what, that youth ministry did this. They come back and you reap sometimes a harvest. Teachers, you guys know how that works. There is an investment that occurs and a multiplication that happens because of our generosity. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to be generous, to get engaged, and to do it cheerfully. We should be giving cheerfully. Paul goes on, he says it this way. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Notice here what he says. He says, not reluctantly. Not as, not as like in the video. <laughs> not because an angel shows up next to you and compulses you to give. That's not the point either. We need to be giving willingly, excited, cheerfully. This is something that's supposed to be joyful. And trust me, that's hard because when you let go of money, they have visually recorded. There's a pain sensation that occurs in the release of money. And so we know that giving cheerfully can be difficult, especially when you have an enemy who hates cheerful giving. You want to stick it to the enemy, become a cheerful giver because the enemy cannot stand it. He hates a cheerful giver. In fact, what he wants to do is tell you right now, oh, a pastor just trying to... Just trying to get you to give more, man. He's got some kind of harebrained vision. And all he wants is your money because he really has his visions and his dreams and all this stuff. And come on, you know he's going to pass the bucket to the end of service again. <laughs> no, actually, that's why we passed it at the beginning. Because I'm not here to manipulate any of you. I'm not going to be as emotional in this service as I was last week. Because the goal here is not for any manipulation. I'm not going to compulse you. God's not going to hold hell against you if you don't give. Notice he's not forcing anyone to give anything. He'll woo you. He'll tell you there are great rewards in eternity. There's great things ahead of those of us who are, gener who are generous. And we should understand that God wants us to put those off into heaven and see his generosity flourish into our souls. But hey, that isn't a compulsion. I'm not here to tell you you need to get kicked out. We're going to look at your tithe money. We're going to look at your statement and make you back tithe. That's not the case of the church. In fact, for coming to this service, I'm going to give you 10% off your next tithe. Okay, so I'm just kidding. No, the goal here is to show you the enemy will play with you. He'll tell you the church is greedy. If a church is greedy, it will not grow. I've just expressed that. The church grows off generosity. Look, we want to be above board. We get audited every year in order to be above board on our finances. We pass that audit every year. We pass it with an A+. Plus. We barely even have anything to tell. They're like, yeah, we have to make suggestions is what they tell us. We offer our budget to you so that you can look over, you can vote on it. We want accountability. This is not some rogue team taking money and running. No, we want to love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. And we want all the funds to go in those directions to reach out into the city and disciple. And that's the point. That's what we do with our time, that's what we do with our talents, that's what we do with our treasure. And I want to encourage you guys that we should be able to do it joyfully, knowing that God loves to use it. I mean, joyfully. I really mean joyfully. We did this awesome opportunity called the Giving Tree. I hope a lot of you participate, actually. Carmela was in charge of this. And what I loved about hearing Carmela's story is she got to hang all of these names and all these needs on this tree. And when the final one came off, man, she just couldn't help but cry because within a week, Boom, it was all done. <laughs> Suddenly we did it. So we put a whole bunch of names back on and within a week, boom, it's done again. And so we're like, okay, what do we do next? You know, the church is, is excited about what God's doing. So we just say, hey, let's just collect food, money, and stuff so people need gas or whatever. We can give it out to the kind of the people who come in if they have an emergency need. So we, we sent out the call again. And I love our school because they let the school know. And in walks this 10-year-old. How many are 10? Any 10-year-olds in the room? No 10-year-olds in the room because they're all in an awesome children's ministry having a blast. 10-year-old comes up, $40. Do you remember how much $40 is as a 10-year-old? That's like a million bucks, right? You're like, this is an awesome amount of money. He just lays down and says, I want to I give to the giving tree. 
So he selects 10, or sorry, four different gift cards, three to different restaurants. And then he's like, oh, oh, and I got to do the Cole Stones because they got to have dessert. That was his thinking. So he gets this thing, puts it together, and he's beaming, excited to give his $40 away to these, to these families. And we go, amen, right? We, we want to praise God. We say, oh, that's so cute. That's so awesome. No, it's because it's good. And we encourage it because it's right. And you know what happens in heaven when you give cheerfully like a child because you're God's child? He goes, oh, that's awesome. Because you're his kid. Just because they're little and makes it cute doesn't mean it's any different than when we do it. It's good when we give cheerfully. It's right when we give cheerfully. When we do it without a sourpuss face, it, it, it says something because we are representing our God who is in heaven. And now if you're really going to give, here's the thing though. Paul says, yeah, give cheerfully, but it's hard because you're letting go of money. That's why the greatest givers give intentionally, they're not accidentally. And I want to encourage you to become an intentional giver. Why? Because then you give with your frame of mind. You're giving for the right purposes. You're not giving because you got emotionally motivated by somebody. It's easy to watch a television show and see somebody dying in Africa that was, you know, that they'd set up to have this kid, or whatever, and have your heartstrings pulled, give your money to it to find out, hey, if you buy this hanky, you can, you can be blessed too, whatever. We get emotionally addicted to giving in the wrong ways. The only way to truly give is to give intentionally. That's generosity. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. It's a pre-decision to be generous. And look, I get this. I'm the kind of guy who went shopping just, last, just yesterday before church. I had to go out and grab a couple things for the family members that, it, that I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about them. You know, that kind of a thing, right? And so I'm running, walking around, I'm doing accidental shopping. Anybody accidental shop around here like me? Like you're just like, that's a good one. That's kind of cool. What's that price? Okay, that works. And you're just kind of randomly choosing items that look cool and look good. And you're like, that's accidental shopping. None of you accidentally shop for a car or a house, I hope. <laughs> I hope you sat down, you're like, this is such a pretty house. Let's just buy it. You know, that wasn't that. I hope you sat down and thought, can we afford the price? Is this the, is this the right neighborhood? You know, do, I hope you've intentionally engaged in your shopping for the big things. Now, if you want to give small, you can be accidental. But if you're going to be big in your generosity, you're going to give intentionally. I've known nobody who is a great giver who didn't do it on purpose. And that's what the church is all about when it talks about tithing. Look, we use tithing as a way of framing the conversation. I get the Old Testament, 30% tithe. It was like a tax and we're in the new covenant. We don't have to do the old covenant and all that. I get all that. Let's just say the new covenant goes on top of the old covenant, calling us to something bigger. That Jesus gave his life and he says, we should give our lives to one another as well. So giving 10% is a little lower than what Jesus calls us to give. You get that? We're called to generosity. We're called the great generosity. Now, for you, that may not be, you may not be able to do 10%, but give intentionally at least. Start somewhere. Don't get manipulated into your giving because you're like, oh, that's such a good cause. And no, stop. Think about it. There is a call to the church to give to the storehouses of the church because what we do is then we, we distribute it. Guys, we give it in benevolence. We do it through the gospel. We care through James Projects. I've listed a whole bunch of these. We even give to other organizations in the city so that they can continue their ministry. We're not going to start another Corona Life Services in the church. We're going to fund them. We're not going to start another homeless ministry if another church is doing great homeless ministry. We're going to fund them. The goal is that we work as the kingdom together. 
And then we don't have to worry about starting all these different things. But at least start somewhere. The reason we talk about intentional giving and setting it up online and stuff is because, be honest, if you're a little bit like me, you probably got a little bit of touch of ADD or something like that, and you forget. And so you get to the end of the year and like, oh my gosh, we didn't do, we tithe for the first three months and we forgot after that. We don't have the money to give now. That's not intentional. When you set it up and you're able, and we do this with, our, with all the different giving that we give, whether it's overseas workers or kid, you know, kids that we're supporting or whatever, it's always intentional. We look at our budget, we see what's at, where we're at, and then we say, this is what we're giving out. And because we want to be generous like our Lord was generous, we start with that in mind and we intentionally set it up to where it just comes out. And so now we live according to what we really have. And this is the thing. As you do that, you'll grow. I have friends who literally continue to expand their giving every year. They say this, hey, if our income goes up, our giving's going to go up. Not our lifestyle, because they've decided there's a point at which we hit that we're good. I don't need to chase any more dreams. I don't need to chase any more stuff. I, I, can, I can live like this and be happy. And everything else on top, that's gravy that's going to go. We're going to give that. It's going to be a part of the blessings that we enjoy. But you know what? We're going to give. And it's those generous people that move and transform the world. They give of their time. And so I would say have a plan, not just with your finances, have a plan with your talents. And if you're great at counseling people, have a plan. How are you going to use that for the sake of others? If you're amazing at fabricating or say you're just really, say you're a college student in here and you've got some opportunity to get engaged in graphic design, you know a great place to practice is at church. Do you know why the corporations are winning and getting, the, getting their message everywhere? It's because all those amazingly talented people are being paid to do it. And God gifted you that, gave you that opportunity to develop that. And you can come here and begin at the beginning point and use those same talents for the sake of a gospel, for the sake of caring for people, for the sake of meeting the needs of human beings. And what you have is this opportunity in the middle of it to build a portfolio maybe to help you move in your job, to build your skills outside of your work. You don't have to be greedy with your talents. You can actually watch them flourish. And that may be in leadership and find, there's all kinds of places like that. I just want you to think about that. And finally, I want you to think about the fact that you're not going to live forever. And if you do not have a plan for your finances after you're gone, if you don't have some kind of trust set up or some kind of thought of how you're going to aim that money, the government's willing to aim it for you. And last time I checked, they don't aim in the same direction we're aiming at. Some cases they hit the bullseye and a lot of cases they don't. If you care that what you've built in your life is going to go where you want it to go, you need to make sure you have a trust. You need to make sure that it's placed in place. You need to have an intentional giving of what you've done, even after you're gone. I want to encourage you to take a look at people like Christian Trustmaker and other groups out there that are Christian-oriented groups that will help you think through it biblically. But you need to have that plan. And you need to be ready because as Jesus said about that man, so your soul is required of you tonight. Now who's going to get it? And hopefully what you do is you're able to set it up to where that money can multiply the kingdom. Now, as we finish up here, we're going to realize there's one more thing. You need to give knowing God's going to meet your needs. You need to give knowing God's going to meet your needs. Greed is born by the what ifs. You know, what if I don't have enough for that? And what if I don't have enough for that? And what if I don't, 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 what ifs create greed? And what God is telling you is, I am going to supply your need as you keep your hand open. 
So he continues, says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Notice what he's saying. So that I can supply everything that you need in every situation and everywhere, you're going to be sufficient. You're going to be, you're going to have what you need. And I want you to trust that God is there to meet your needs. For some of us, we need to stop moving our standard of living up. And we need to set our standard of living and say, this is where I'm going to stop so that everything above that, man, we can give and we can use for the case of the kingdom, for the sake of calling, for the family, whatever it is that God's called you to do with it, you have this margin. Make as much as you stinking can, have a limit, and give as much as you can. And then be intentional because God's going to meet your needs. He is going to do this for a purpose too. Notice how he puts it, so that you may abound in every good work. Do you know why God wants to meet your needs? Because he doesn't want you fixated on your money. He doesn't want you fixated on your calendar. He wants you free. So if you have a plan to use your retirement and a plan to use that excess time in a way for the kingdom, guess what? You're never going to worry about it. It's planned. It's planned in your generosity with your finances. It's planned in your generosity with your talents. And suddenly you abound in good works. You've intentionally decided, you've laid out a plan, you execute your plan, and you start living out where the things that you give to and the ways that you serve and what you do multiplies for the sake of other people's blessings. That is abounding in every good work. So that suddenly what is troubling you and in your stress of your time and the financial needs, if you can remember that God will protect and provide for you and you can hit that point and not keep expanding it, you will have an abundance to care for other people with and to expand that kingdom because God wants you not just to have your needs met. He wants you to abound in the good that can enable you to care for other people and multiply in the kingdom of God. Now, finally, the reason we do all of this is because we give because God gave first. That's the intention. That he has shaped our lives, he's saved us, and he, and he wasn't greedy. He said, well, God's out for his own worship. He wants all of us sitting on Sunday, singing songs. Well, hold on. Let me show you what I mean. In a very Christmassy passage to me in the book of Philippians written to a church in Philippi in the ancient world, Paul writes this. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be, and the word literally is greedily grasped, to be robbed, to hold it fast, to steal and pull it close to himself, not let go, to not Black Friday it. He had everything that he, all the perfect relationship, all the time, he had eternity, he was God himself, all power, all, the, all of the material world was his, and he didn't see it something to cling to. But he'd emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What he did is he gave and he gave and he gave, and the model of our giving is Jesus Christ. And that's why if you're not a Christian, you don't have to worry about giving to the church and giving to all that stuff because really at this point, you're at a point where I hope you would, you would receive. Because 
The God who is not greedy desired to give you something. He desired to give you himself. He desired to give you life. He desired to give you forgiveness. He desired to release all that junk, all that sin, every single lust, every single anger, every single greed, every single piece of the mess that we create in this world. And he said, here, I'm going to do an exchange. On the cross, I will take all of your sin, all of that garbage that you've done and where you've harmed someone in the mess, and I'm going to take it on me. He's greedy to to take it from you that he may give to you his life. And when he rose from the dead, he offers you forgiveness. He offers you salvation from the punishments. He offers you himself to grow and develop. He offers you life and heaven. This is a gift. Gift as any gift is given. It's given freely, given as he's paid the price and he offers it to you. And so today it's your gift to receive. And like any gift, it begins with you receiving it and accepting it, confident that the gift is yours, confident that he's paid it all, confident that he's done what he needs. That's what the word faith means. It's not magic thinking. It's confidence in the very God who has created the world and given you promises like this. It's confidence in a person. So today, maybe you need to be confident that God wants to give you this gift and forgive you, and I want to give you a chance to receive that. Would you bow your heads with me? And today, maybe this is the time that you're ready. You're finally there and you're ready to receive this gift from God. Then take this minute and let me know. You're just saying, that's me. You just put your hand up just high enough that I can see it. You're saying, I want to receive the forgiveness of my sins. I want to be accepted into heaven. I want to receive this gift of generosity from God. Maybe you're at home right now and you're ready to receive that. Then just start here with this prayer. You say, God in heaven, I know that I have sinned. I'm confident that you are going to forgive me in Jesus Christ. I trust that he has taken it on the cross, that you're giving me his life as he's risen from the dead. Please come into my life now and lead me as you lead me all the way home into heaven. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.